For more resources, visit rym.org. The Local Youth Worker is a daily podcast that's centered on five questions each week. Ranging from the practical to the professional, we're looking for answers to the questions you're asking. Whether you're in full-time, part-time, or even volunteer youth ministry, this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, this is Michael Hall, Director of Training at RYM. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to invite you to join us at our annual Youth Leader Training Conference. YLT is an incredible week of equipping, connection, and encouragement for you and your ministry. We're excited to offer two locations in 2019, Nashville, Tennessee, and Paradise, Pennsylvania. Feature speakers include Sandy Wilson, Walt Mueller, Julie Lowe, Duffy Robbins, and Scotty Smith. Registration for both locations is now open. Please visit rym.org slash training for more information and registration. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, we are talking with uh, Dr. Ligon Duncan, uh, Chancellor and CEO of Reform Theological Seminary. Um, yesterday, Dr. Duncan, we got you to put your senior pastor hat back on. Um, and so today I want you to get your professor hat on, if you don't mind. Um, uh, prior right. to becoming chancellor and CEO at RTS, uh, you were also an adjunct professor, and I know you still teach in the classroom today on many occasions um, across all of the campuses. Um, so, so based on your years of serving as a professor, um, what are a few notable differences uh, in students today compared to students uh, years ago? What, what, what are some good ways in which students have changed, and what are some maybe some, some not-so-good ways in which uh, students have changed? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love our students, John, and I love this generation of students. You know, I, I hear I hear folks of my age and older that you know that gripe around the uh, about the younger generation. And um, when I'm around younger folks today, they they just make me happy and they they encourage me. So when when I'm around students, I'm encouraged. Now, our students today face a whole array of challenges that I just, I don't feel like I felt that I didn't face those kinds of challenges the way they do. Um, We have, we have more students from broken families, uh, more students that have never been in a healthy local church, more students that come from churches that have never really taught them the Bible, uh, never taught them sound theology, uh, never taught them how to study the Bible for themselves and consequently, and then from an educational system that has just completely failed them in helping them know how to write, how to think, how to read. And so students come to seminary today as compared to 30 years ago, knowing less Bible, less theology, and and struggling more with how to read. You know, a lot of students today, when you ask them to read something and then ask them to write about it, they tell you what they feel about mm-hmm. what they read. But it, when it comes to, no, but wait a second, before you tell me how you feel about what you read, what did the writer mm-hmm. say? You know, they, they struggle, they, their reader response. I mean, even though they don't realize they've, they've, they've bought into this approach to reading, the whole educational system has taught them what's important is about how that makes mm-hmm. you feel uh, or, or what you think after you read something, not what the person said. And so, uh, student, that's not their fault. They're not stupid. 
Uh, they're not bad people. It's just that the whole, the, the church, the educational system has not helped them in some significant ways. And so seminary then has to remediate. You know, we, we have to go back in and, you know, you might have a, a, a kid who's, who's graduated with honors in accounting from a major state university who's never had to write a paper. And, uh, and so we've got to help a person in that kind of situation. So that's one of the challenges. Uh, a, a second thing that, that I see is, is students come to seminary and uh, they don't realize sometimes how important the, the hard work on themselves, their own self-awareness, their own sanctification is going to be to the process of, of being prepared and equipped to serve in the church. You know, they, they, they come to seminary and they, they think that there's, there's going to be this acquisition of knowledge, and we, we want them to acquire that knowledge, uh, that they're going to be able to, you know, effectively communicate and convey to people that's going to be the, the prime things that's going to happen at seminary. But one of the prime things that happens at seminary, if seminary is done right, is that that truth actually works on their hearts and it actually uncovers things that are major issues in their lives that if they don't deal with are going to wreck them in marriage and in ministry in in the future and we all bring those seeds of our own destruction uh, to seminary with us and that's one reason why seminary can be so hard for guys because they they're suddenly they're dealing with their own sin in ways that they've never ever seen it before. And, um, and, and that, you know, we, we want to help students in that. That's actually a good thing, but it's really, really painful and it can be devastating, uh, for guys to, you know, for, you know, a, a, a person who realizes, wow, I am a profoundly selfish person. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, wow, I really, really struggle with jealousy. Um, what, you know, and on and on and on, all of these things that can, uh, what, wow, I am re- I really struggle with pride. Um, though, all of those things can wreck your marriage, wreck your ministry, wreck your life. And in seminary, the truth that we're learning about a, a big God uh, and, 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 and his marvelous grace in Christ, um, that truth has to kind of wreck us and then rebuild us and and restore us and that that process is not easy if it's if it's done right because we really have to reckon with hard things about ourselves and i you know i i think that seminarians today come with a lot of humility in that area more than maybe in my generation you know so that's i'd, I'd put that up uh, at, a, at a plus side with the students that I see today, they're not surprised that they have hard heart work to do, but it, it's that it's still not easy to do. And, uh, and it, it can make seminary a, a very challenging uh, time for them. But that's, you know, that's, that's another area. And I think, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I think part of it is most seminary, take male seminarians, most male seminarians um, have been barraged with pornography since they were, you know, before they were teenagers, and it has left them with profound guilt uh, in terms of their thought life, um, in terms of their desires. Uh, it may have it may have affected their marriages in negative ways uh, already. 
And that, that has a pervasive uh, effect on a, on a person's spiritual life. And so, you know, the, the good side of that is students coming today understand sexual brokenness in a way that maybe my generation wouldn't have understood that. Um, at, at the same time, that you, one of the reactions to that can be to relativize that. Uh, and equivocate on that and not to be as strong as the Bible is about that kind of, of sexual sanctification that we that we all need to pursue. And um, so that you know that's another area where things are different in, in the last 30 years and partly it's because of smartphones and computers and the internet and things of that nature. When I was a kid, you had to go looking for pornography. Now pornography comes looking to you for you. I, it was interesting. I was talking to a um, uh, a credentials committee in a presbytery uh, uh, probably a year ago, and the chairman of that committee said, um, thirty years ago, uh, the 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 thing that I saw in personal spiritual life that I was most concerned about was." Um, was misuse of alcohol. Uh, he said that was probably the, the thing that I was most alarmed about with potential candidates for ministry. Now, that's obviously more in a Presbyterian context, not, you know, in a, in a lot of, still today in a lot of Baptist contexts, you know, there's just, there's, you know, it's, it's teetotal and nobody's supposed to, to drink. But this was more in a Presbyterian context. And that same guy said today it's pornography. Uh, amongst candidates for the ministry. And, you know, we're, we're living through the Me Too and the Church Too thing right now. And, we, you know, you can't play around with, with, that, with that spiritual challenge. And so, you know, that's different from, you know, from, from before, different for the students coming in. But again, every plus has a minus. Every minus has a plus. Every challenge is an opportunity. Every opportunity has a challenge. And so I think that that we as a faculty aren't discouraged about the challenges that we see students facing as long as they face them, <laughs> you know, as, as long as they know that they're there and they're ready by God's grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit to dig into their Bibles and, and then to reach out to God in prayer and, and then to strive with all their might uh, to, to kill sin and to, uh, and to, and to live to righteousness, and uh, mm -hmm. so those are those are a couple of things that are different about about students today as opposed to maybe thirty years ago. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. I mean, tragic, heartbreaking um, for sure. I mean, I think of you know when I graduated from RTS Jackson, that was almost ten years ago now, which is hard to believe, two thousand and nine. Um, and so I know you know, pornography was spoken of in the classroom, but what's some advice you give to your professors on, you know, dealing with this? Is it addressed kind of in a large group setting in the classroom? Is it spoken about? Um, what, what's some ways in which you try to steer them and uh, try to help these? Well, I mean, you know, my, my guess is, John, when you teach, my guess is you, you mentioned this. My guess is when John Kwasney teaches in pastoral counseling, he addresses this. My guess is Charlie Wingard also addresses this in pastoral. And I'm just talking about RTS Jackson right now. I'm sure you would see this across the system in our pastoral theology courses. But it's certainly the kind of thing that I bet a lot of professors raise and insert at particular points is, you know, if you're preaching through Romans, this is going to come up. 
uh, if you're preaching through 1 Corinthians or teaching through 1 Corinthians, this is going to come up. So if you let the text raise it, it's going to come up. And then if you're teaching systematic theology, this is certainly going to come up. It's going to come up under manhood and womanhood when you're teaching the doctrine of anthropology. It's going to come up under the doctrine of sanctification. It's going to come up under the doctrine of marriage and sex. You know, so there are all, all sorts of places naturally where the curriculum will allow professors to speak into these things. It's going to come up when you're teaching the Old Testament, when, when you're teaching Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, the, the, the Bible's just going to give us opportunities to, to talk about this. So my guess is professors all across the system are interjecting this uh, when, when the text itself and when the topic that they're teaching is, uh, is prompting them on that, because we're all aware of, of the challenge. And, um, you know, there, there are different strategies that different people are going to need to take to, um, to attack the problem. Uh, but, the, but look, the main, the, the main thing that you need in this context is transparency and accountability. And uh, I, I just try to have, um, I, I try to have no possible way that my movements on uh, on the computer and elsewhere are not traceable by other people, and uh, so my my assistant has all of my passwords. Um, you know, all of our computers are monitored uh, by the IT department at the at the seminary, and I just I encourage a no privacy policy uh, on all use of of technology. Uh, as, as one of the best strategies. Privacy on technology is always dangerous. If somebody mm, tells me absolutely. that they need privacy on technology, it is a red flag. Uh, you know, we should have zero privacy on technology. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, I know, think that's a, a lot of wisdom there. I mean, my, yeah, my wife yeah. has my passwords and yeah. I tell her to, to pick it up, look at it anytime. Yeah. Um, for sure, I think we'd, we'd need that. Um, but last follow-up real quick, you had talked about just biblical illiteracy and just kind of the lack of reading. Um, for those who are, who are listening, and maybe some, I know many are listening who are just starting seminary out, could you give them some guidance, some direction to, to grow in their ability to read? Um, what, what are some thoughts? Well, uh, you know, one thing is to pick up uh, Mortimer Adler's famous book, How to Read a Book. And um, I mean, it, it, it will be eye opening for so many people because your teachers and professors may well not have taught you those basic reading skills. They may either have assumed them or they may have given you bad uh, principles and models. And uh, th that's a great place to start. Um, I, I think getting a really good reading list, and if you go to the rts.edu website, there is a, a recommended reading list for pre-seminarians. Uh, I have a recommended reading list that um, I do for pre-seminarians that may be on ligandunkin.com. If it's not, I'll make sure it goes up sometimes so that people can see that. And, and you know, learn, learn basics of how to read and then just start reading good literature. And um, if, if, you know, if possible, read it with other people, you know, with whom you can sort of download and process uh, what you're reading uh, together. We now do, for all of our incoming students, reading and writing and research seminars just to help them in this area. Uh, because again, they're not; these are not stupid people. These are smart people. These are gifted people. 
they're they're uh, you know they're godly, they're consecrated, but they've not been equipped with certain tools that uh, that that I think that we could have assumed culturally thirty or forty years ago for a variety of reasons. So those would be a couple of things I would say in terms of helping people read. Yeah, that's that's really good. I'm, I'm finally picking up um, Adler's book. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. in it right now, and it's it's very good. And I know kind of a, maybe a we could say a Christian version of that is Tony Reinke's uh, Lit, A Christian's Guide to Reading Books. That's a very helpful yeah. primer. I mean, Tony sure. really has produced some good material there. Phil Riken is gifted in this area. He's got a, a volume that he and his dad did called Pastors in the Classics as well, where he he um, gives a list of the classic books that pastors ought to be uh, equipped for. And, th- and this is just, this isn't theological literature necessary. It's, it's just great literature and helps uh, pastors know a little bit, how to, a little bit of background, a little bit how to go about reading that literature. And so people that are particularly gifted uh, in English, in literature, uh, can be a real help to us there. Very good. Thanks again, Dr. Duncan.